All right, Paul. Well, it's uh, it's a mini episode that we're going to do here. Um, first of all, how are you? I am hanging in there, my friend. How are you? Uh, you know, it's complicated, I guess is the easiest way to say it. Um, this is an odd time to say the very least. Um, we record our episodes usually a little bit in advance. So we had Side A Gigaton Review come out a couple of days ago. And um, in light of what's happened over the last 10 days, uh, we figured it was uh, no better time to maybe do a little mini episode um, and devote it to, you know, Pearl Jam have had many protest songs over the years, and that's an episode we'll probably have at some point. But um, I think speaking about uh, WMA by itself is a good idea, right? Yeah, I, I definitely think so. Um, and there, there's a specific reason for that. It's a tragic and unfortunate reason for that. Um, you know, George Floyd is uh, an American citizen who, who sadly lost his life at the hands of a police officer. And uh, there's been a lot of response to that, a lot of active, agitated, uh, activist response. And uh, this is occurring during the middle of a pandemic, right? When, when we're supposed to be on lockdown and quarantine and, and everybody's enforcing social distancing and then you know you turn on the news and there's two three hundred people standing inches apart from each other uh and and to be honest with you jason i I can't help but think that part of this is i don't want to say how do i say this uh i can't imagine that being cooped up the way that we have been has not had even an indirect role in people's desire to just they've had enough, you know, and, and people going out there and marching, it's like, look, the government's basically telling us what to do. And then if you feel like the government is oppressing you at the same time, how do you not lash out in the way that a lot of these people are? And in no way, shape or form, am I saying that I condone looting or that the band or any of their songs condone looting and and, and violent aggression and things like that. But standing up for rights and being heard, I think, is definitely something that it's become very much a national conversation on many levels as it relates to our response to the virus and our response to social injustice and how those things have strangely become intertwined in the last week or so. Yeah, you you mentioned it with you know the feeling of being locked away for all these. I I use the term locked away. uh, Apologies, but you know we feel like we've been locked away for the last few months with, you know, the quarantine and, you know, we, we feel many things, whether it be mentally or from the financial situation, or if your, your health has been, you know, affected, not only do you have all that kind of weighing on you, but on top of that, if you're a person of color, you have the history of America and it's, it's racism weighing on you and the everyday racism that that you that they face and then this happens and it's caught on camera and um like many things are i mean ahmaud arbery was just a couple weeks ago too um and then you know you have that woman in central park and now then george floyd and it's just at a certain point people have had enough and it's it's come out in a very very strong way and and you know as we mentioned you know this is a pearl jam podcast and 
Pearl Jam have in many ways, um, either in a micro way or a macro way, spoken out against injustice. Um, and this song, WMA, you know, it comes from Verses, comes from 1993. And it's kind of frustrating. I mean, I'm saying this as a white person, but that's it, it, frustrating. Imagine how black people must feel um, that a song like this could be written so many years ago and still be relevant. So before we kind of dive into the lyric of the week, which obviously comes from the song and the live cut, I want to read something that the band posted um, today as we're taping, which is Wednesday, June 3rd, the day before you're hearing this. Um, Pearl Jam was started with a love for music and social justice. Our organization has been reflecting on where unconscious racism is still showing up in our own lives and how we can do better. While we continue to dig in, we do not want to contribute to white voices overtaking the narrative that the black community is sharing. It is the responsibility of each of us to listen and educate ourselves on how to better humans, how to be better humans sharing this planet. So um, with that, let's get to the lyric of the week. So, um, like I said, written, God, almost 30 years ago, 25 years ago, still relevant today. What are your thoughts on this portion of the song? Well, my, my thoughts are, are a mixture of disappointment and sadness that that lyric is still relevant today. Uh, you know, I, I, I want to focus for just a, a brief moment on something in the band's statement. You know, they said, they, they made a reference to this, I believe the word was subconscious racism. Am I correct? I have to pull it up here. Uh, unconscious unconscious thank you unconscious racism and uh i I could not think of of truer words being spoken because you you mentioned this previously where you talked about what it is like to grow up being black in america in a country that, that that saw an economy benefit from something like the jim crow laws uh that benefited from slavery but it wasn't the economy of all it was the economy of 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 white people you know specifically in certain regions and so these are things that i don't think the country has fully acknowledged in a way that has dissolved the systematic racism that we see today and and what what i think the the unconscious racism line really really resonates for me and i think it's prevalent in the song because w- when you say you know he was when he was born he won the lottery it, just being white is winning the lottery is what that line is well it's white it's, it's the it's the the privilege it's white privilege before that was a phrase before it was a phrase absolutely yeah. and and the thing is though you know what, what is what does that mean unconscious racism right i, I think it, what it comes from is this if you think about it if you didn't grow up in an area where you had a lot of african-american neighbors who occupied roles like um, policemen and uh, judges and teachers, um, corporate managers and, and uh, high roles in politics, city councilors and, and congressmen, governors and mayors, then I don't see how you didn't grow up even on an unconscious level 
with it being kind of built into the fabric of the way you think that you almost find it surprising to see African-Americans in those roles as you grow older Mm -hmm. because you, you weren't raised in an environment where that was happening on a prolific and very, very common level. And so here, here you're not trying to be racist. You don't, you may not even think that you see things from a racist angle, but the sheer fact that seeing an African-American get voted president and being surprised by that or impressed by that, uh, that right there, I think, in, on some level reflects what, what the band's talking about, this idea of, of being unconsciously racist sometimes. And, and that's, uh, I, I hate to say being unconsciously racist because I, I think it's more being unconsciously and unwittingly prejudiced in the sense that you, you don't dislike what's different as much as you don't fully understand what's different. You know what I mean? Well, um, we, we fear what we don't understand. Well, fear, yeah, th- th- there is a fear, I think, to some degree. Um, but but it's, it's a destructive system. Um, and, and I think the issue really comes from the system. And if we don't figure out a way to undo the system through education, I don't think we're ever going to unravel this. And I think the lyrics of the song 30 years from now can be played all over again, you know? And yeah, well, that's that's the... That's the sad thing is that we can certainly imagine ourselves being 60 years old. And, well, we and don't want to believe that though. We, we don't want to believe that. America is, it, it, there's, there's opportunity here and there's racial equality and, and African-Americans thrive in, in sports and they, they, can, they have all the same rights everybody else does. That's not what it's about. It, it's, a, it's about feeling the same way when you walk out of your house. I, I forget who it was. I saw this the other day. It was a, a professor that said, it was to an auditorium of people. And she said, I want you to stand up right now. Oh, right. If you would like to feel the way an African-American feels, if you'd like to be Jane Elliott. Thank you. Thank you. She said, and and I'm I'm paraphrasing here, but she said, please stand up. If you would like to be treated the way African-Americans are treated in this country. And no person in the auditorium stood up. It must have been hundreds of people of various ethnic backgrounds, but the predominantly white. And she said, well, that right there proves that you know exactly what's going on. So let's not pretend you don't or that it's not happening. Because otherwise half of you, if not all of you, would be standing up right now. You clearly are aware. So then the question is, how do we, how do we break the system? You know? And so I think Pearl Jam's music has always strived to, to, to reach those in a way that kind of agitates, you know, if, if you look at the history of their music, they're, they're a band that on, on their first album really tried to capture, I shouldn't say tried to, they just did. They captured what it meant, like um, what, what it meant to feel angst and frustration from the inside out, you know, uh, the, the id battling with the ego, if you will. Mm-hmm. But I think as they, they evolved into the band, they were, on verses, you started to see a lot of that angst and aggression and frustration being directed more towards uh, social injustice. And since then, we've had songs like Worldwide Suicide and Glorified G and, and uh, Crop Duster. Uh, Bush Leaguer. Bush Leaguer, great example. Even, you know, off, off the wall cuts like uh, Can't Deny Me, which is very m- more recent. Half of Gigaton even. So you start thinking about things like that and it's like, okay, well they keep making music like this. You know, they, they keep writing songs that seem to want to push activism and they keep making choices as a band. They keep putting themselves out there and speaking about this 
through activism. And I, I mean, I tip my cap to the band for saying, hey, we don't want our voice to supersede the voices of those who are actually being affected by this. I thought that was really classy. Uh, if you're listening to this, you're interested in the voice of the band and, and uh, we're very grateful you're interested in ours as well. But the song seems to truly capture what it means in a critical way to grow up with this privilege and to be unaware of it, to, to not be awakened to it and to then treat others in a way that is fully ignorant and oblivious to the lottery ticket you've been handed. And he was, he being Eddie was certainly aware of that. I mean, the song, as he has said before, originated when he was sitting outside of the recording studio in Seattle with, with a buddy of his who was white and there was, you know, they're both real like slovenly dressed and dirty and, you know, they've been in the studio all night and just, you know, grungy looking as, a, as was the style at the time. And there was a, I believe the story goes, a, a homeless black guy kind of nearby and the cops showed up and uh, they went straight to the black guy. They didn't, they didn't look at the two slovenly looking, homeless looking two white guys and went straight to the black guy. And like, and that resonated in, in his mind. And, you know, think about it at the time that had to have been like 92, 93. And guess what happened just, you know, months before in Los Angeles, the Rodney King riots. And, you know, we live in Los Angeles now and we are, what is that? 28 years removed from that. I wasn't living here at the time. I was, I was in Connecticut and you were in, in, San Francisco area. And I only knew of that on the television and we're here now. And, you know, I can remember watching videos of, you know, in Koreatown people on their, on their store, on their um, roofs of their stores with, with rifles trying to ward off looters and protest and, um, and vandalizers. And I started seeing some of that a couple of days ago, people in Van Nuys out in front of their stores, you know, this gym owner, this Jack guy, and he's holding a rifle. And I'm like, good for you, man. You, <laughs> you know, you gotta, you know, You've got to save your store from the, the jerk offs who are not a part of the movement, who are trying to opportunize it for their own selfish anarchist reasons. And but we ha we're in the middle of this craziness, and the tension in the air just really mimics what I have to imagine was the tension in the air, if not Los Angeles across the the nation at the time, and that just compounded and so you have eddie in this mindset writing this song in 1993 late 92 whatever it was and and here we are and i wish it wasn't so apropos but it is yeah and and just in sticking with the lyric here dirty says hands it comes right off i mean how is this going to play out you know george floyd is gone but the man responsible for his death is still here charges have been filed i, I believe is what uh Senator all four Klobuchar, now all four right so it's it begs the question you know is it just going to wash off because if it is <laughs> then then nothing has changed and let's remind you let's remind the viewers if, if they don't remember and apologies if you do you know rodney king being beaten on camera wasn't what caused the riots the for, the officers being acquitted is what caused the riots yeah so, so i was telling my wife the other day and my, and my mother-in-law i go listen you know they might charge all of them and they ended up doing that and i go that's that's great but can you imagine being a juror on this on this trial the pressure to convict these guys 
is so great because if you don't, we live in a world now with social it's media, and internet, and you you have your own life in your hand if you decide to acquit this person. And I'm not saying, I'm not giving my opinion one way or the other. I'm just saying that with how the internet works now, they will find out who you are and your life will be hell. And you think these riots are bad now? You wait if, if, if these guys aren't convicted. So I, I worry for America on a lot of different levels, but I worry for those people specifically. I worry for the system. And songs like these, like, like I said, being apropos now, it's really incredibly frustrating. Indeed. All right. Well, with that, um, I think we should get to your live cut of the week. So this particular version of the song, I think, is arguably the best version out there, both in terms of sound quality and uh, it, coming from the era in which it was written. I think it, it, it has that it, it packs that much more of a punch for that reason. So it comes from 1994. This is Atlanta. This was actually an official. I want to say it was an official bootleg that was released to radio stations. It's a broadcast show, soundboard quality. It's it's a fantastic performance. And uh, it sadly resonates as much today as it did then. All right. April 3rd, 1994, Atlanta, Georgia.
tomorrow morning, look in your uh, look in your history book and uh, figure out why it's an important day to remember. Wow. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned it before. This this show is epic in the concert um, catalog of Pearl Jam. Everyone knows. And actually, this is the second of two shows. Some people forget there was a show the night before. But an uh, an epic, legendary Pearl Jam show and an epic, legendary version of this song. Um, you might have noticed somebody else singing on that. That was King's ex-frontman. I'm going to pull it up here. I had it. I had it. Doug Pinnock and uh, drummer Jerry Gaskell helping out on that song. And you also may have noticed um, Eddie mention at the end there, um, you know, when you wake up tomorrow morning, read the paper and uh, recognize the date. And if you look up in your history books, that's important. And what he's referring to is that's that's the uh, day that Martin Luther King Jr., the doctor, was uh, assassinated in Memphis in 1968, just 26 years prior. So if we couldn't put a better bookend on this, I don't know what, what, what that would be, but there you go. Completely agree, Jason. So hopefully, you know, everyone listening to this, it'll provide a moment of reflection for us to kind of think about how, how much we have, or I'm sorry, how far we have come. And at the same time, how much further we still need to go. That is true. All right. Well, we'll see you next Tuesday with uh, the completion of our Gigaton review. And until then, stay safe, stay strong. And you're listening to the State of Love and Trust. Yeah.